Assalamu alaikum. Al-Hadid, that he sent after the messengers, Ibrahim, and Nuh and Ibrahim, he sent Isa ibn Maryam, and gave him the Injil. وَأَتَيْنَاهُ الْإِنْجِيلَ وَجِعَلْنَا فِي قُلُوبِ الَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُ رَأْفَةً وَرَحْمَةً And he put in the hearts of those people who followed Isa, the son of Maryam السلام, put in their hearts رَأْفَةً uh, وَرَحْمَةً that they had rahma and a softness in their hearts and a zeal for the religion. But monasticism, monasticism, okay? So this tradition from Christianity, monasticism, is something Allah says that they innovated. They innovated that, they made that up. They added that to the religion. Allah says this in Surah Al-Hadid. Okay? That he did not prescribe that for them. They added something to the religion. And he did not prescribe it for them. But they were only supposed to strive for the pleasure and the 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 pleasure of Allah to try to please Allah but they didn't but they didn't even do that truthfully and in in truth because if they truly for, were doing it for the pleasure of Allah they would have followed exactly what Allah and the messenger Isa ibn Maryam had uh the path that he had laid them upon so what does Allah say the people who believed, and to believe is what? You believe in Allah and what he revealed, and you act upon that by following the messenger. So those people who actually followed Isa ibn Maryam and did what, what he did and followed that instead of what they innovated, as Allah said, this is not just a Wahhabi thing and they, you know, or whatever, but Allah says they innovated that in their religion, the monasticism, this uh, extra ordinary you know the celibacy they they don't marry and in in some of these other things that they added to the religion that was not part of it anyway so allah says yeah. the people who believed they followed the messenger they followed what allah said and didn't make stuff up added things in he gave them their reward 
most of them were defiantly disobedient. They were lawbreakers. They were people who did not do the right thing. They were fasiqun. So for us, we have to understand Allah is giving us the examples of what the people did before us. Here we are, fast forward. We have the messenger, Rasulullah and the Quran. And we have people still today, after Allah gives us the examples, the messenger says, doesn't do, don't do it, that are adding things to the religion and saying, if you guys want to follow the Sharia, go ahead. But I have something extra and something better. Please look into Surah Al-Hadid. It's in the last page of Surah Al-Hadid. And you will find this ayah there. Look into the tafsir. And perhaps it will help those people who feel like that the Sharia is not enough. They need something extra. This is a warning for them. But Alhamdulillah, we have a good show. Uh, for uh, for you today, inshallah. May Allah accept our efforts. I will let our brother Jafar uh, take it from here. Go ahead, brother. All right. So, alhamdulillah, shukran for joining us again for the, another installment of the R2F show. Um, <clears throat> we have uh, a special guest with us, uh, one of the, I would say, uh, OG members of R2F, <laughs> one of the, I guess, <laughs> the found one of the founding sisters of R2F. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, um, but real quick, before we get to our interview, uh, we just want to mention Imam Asim from uh, a brother from Philadelphia has passed away. Um, we would just like to take a, a moment of silence or make a dua for him. Uh, may Allah bless him. May Allah forgive him. Of course, whenever any of our, we, we face some types of hardships like this, we say, Inna lillahi wa inna alayhi wa and uh, may Allah bless him, forgive him for his sins and his transgressions, and grant him genital firdaus. I mean, so with that, so we don't waste any more time, we are going to welcome um, the Empress, the Persian Empress, um, <laughs> Shah Razad. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Asalaamu As Alaikum. Okay. Um, can you all hear me well? Yes. Yes. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Okay, well, do I get started? Well, well let's, let's just start off. We'll, we'll start you off with just tell us a little bit about our, yourself and okay. maybe like your, your history from of, of being Muslim um, okay. and like, you know, where you kind of started off in your life as being Muslim. Okay. Just start, okay. start, from, the, start from the beginning. We, we, we. we will. I, I, sh I shall. I shall. Okay. Okay. My name is Shahrazad. Um, I was born into the Dar Islam movement of Brooklyn, New York. Um, my father converted to Islam, I believe, around the mid-60s. Then he would give my um Shahada, and he would bring her into Islam, and they would get married, and they would have their first son, and I would be their second child born in the 70s. And I would have a sister that followed that. Okay. And pretty much... Um, life there would be pretty much described as school, school, school. We would start that off for sure. Um, and uh, four days of school, Monday to Thursday, Friday, Juma, Saturday, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Sunday, be like you know the parents you know the elders they would have classes 
and the okay. brothers were like do rod training that would be kind of what it would look like basically okay and for, um and how the school started was it started at masjid like when we were very small and they taught you your arabic alphabet you know everything you know it starts small mm -hmm. first just right. at masjid but as time goes on you know the community grows quite large so you know it would go sure. to a, a larger building pretty much and um it started off with little vans and then um as the community grew they bought their first yellow school bus and then okay. they bought the secondary yellow school bus so they would have oh. a girl school bus and a boy school bus and pretty oh, much wow. we yeah and pretty much we bought it actually on the block where we you know street of which i actually yeah. lived on and um, so, we had school go ahead real please. quick real quick just um so this is this community right now are you they're referring to you're talking about like the Darl islam just so are we talking about the Darl islam community or is this before the Darl islam community this is the Darl islam community okay yeah, this was they were already developing it, you know, and this would be like the East New York area. Okay. So so it seems to me that it's very clear for those people who are um, listening or, you know, hating or, you know, just uh, in general, it seems to me that the, um, the 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 experience that you're that you have um, explained so far seems to be like a, a functioning uh, running community um Correct. uh not necessarily just a um uh you know a a, a uh, just a, a big uh uh pot of confusion and people who can't you know don't know their uh can't get their way out of a, a wet paper bag as they say but i mean it seems like there's some there's some um function there there's a community there there's some direction there um that uh you know, should be acknowledged. I think that, that I try to hit at home every time that it's mentioned just because of how much is driven into the younger generation's heads that anything before TMOA was just like, I don't know, like the, like like they say the cavemen or whatever, that they didn't even know what fire was and stuff like that. So anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Okay. So that would be basically how, you know, we would live. And our, our um, elders, our ums, you know, and abus, you know, they had, you know, businesses. Um, and the ladies, they sewed, so they would sell the items. They baked, you know, but it was very, very structured, very structured. You never missed a day of school or you were, you know, you were in trouble. But we were taught, like, from, you know, very young ages, all of our sirs. By the time we were seven, we knew all of our sirs and our complete prayer. Mm. And mm. so much so that it was you would actually be in trouble for not knowing your sirs. You know, you, they had you prepared before, you know, by the age of seven, pretty much. Wow. And, you know, and-, and real, Just real quick. So like, do you remember your teachers from, from back then? Oh, yes, I do. Were, were, were your teachers like Pakistani immigrants or Arab immigrants or were they African-Americans? African-American. Oh, okay. Okay. All so African-American. So you were so essentially um, in the Dar Islam movement, you had African Americans who knew their Islam and were actually teaching their Islam and propagating their Islam so much so that like you very quickly quickly went from uh, a small little school to needing one school bus to needing two school buses. So not only was it just a functioning 
um, Islamic community. It was actually one that was growing and thriving and that it seemed to have capable teachers and people of knowledge in it. Yes, it was very much so, alhamdulillah. Okay. And they had, you know, now the, the actual neighborhood of which we lived in was like, I would say approximately like three, like about three combined streets and they all had buses in it. Now the buildings themselves were buildings that were connected. This is, you know, in the city of New York and they had rooftops, basements, alleyways and courtyards. And these, all of these combined actually connected the buildings and you can go through. Now, of course, people of sinister nature usually lingered in these areas. So you could play outside, but you had, you know, the Umis, they had monitors. You had to get your little note, your Um or your Abu had to sign that. You go out to the monitor and she would sign it. Oh, now wow. we did slip away, yeah, we did slip away a few times because they were so interconnected mm-hmm. and there was windows everywhere. <laughs> and they had these Venetian, and they had these Venetian blinds. So we, when we did slip out and go in through these courtyards, they, if they even heard these little teeny voices, you would see this, that Venetian blind would start opening up. You see that beard and you see that thobe. That means get out of it. <laughs> or you see the Kimar, you know, because we call the Kimar yep. then. The Kimar and that Umi with that baby, that means get out of there. And they would even do their heads going, no, no. <laughs> and we did slip away a few times. And what we would do, we would go through the courtyards, go through another one and into the building. And some of the most adventurous kids, they would go to the rooftop and they called it Jump in the Roof. And of course, oh, I had wow. to be part of that crew. Yeah, I had to be part of that crew. <laughs> and we would jump the roofs, come back through a building, come back through the next building because it's interconnected. And then we would come back into the um, courtyards to the park and actually pretend that we had been there the whole time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, you know, ch- you know, pretty much children play. Nice. And so at some point... Very- yeah. At some, at some point, um, like at, at what point did, did did you notice anything when you're growing up? Things start to change within the community, or yes, um, yes. Okay, talk talk about that a little bit. Okay, and I'm, we're getting ready to get into that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. No, you're you're fine. So, at some time, I would say sixth grade could have been around sixth grade. I start noticing a little bit subtle changes in the community. It just was subtle. The trash was one. Mm. The trash was accumulating. And you start noticing there's actually your neighbor's things at this time. It's like, hmm. But our house was pretty much just the same. But then it would be our turn. Mm. Things started like, you know, my mother started, you know, things, we see our trash out. And what was going on at the time, which I will later understand, is that they were getting ready, getting rid of their material possessions. Oh, wow. They're getting ready. Um, so much so, so that it was the word on the street and that it was like maybe three blocks of what we call streets. Uh-huh. Down, there were projects. And these projects were like probably 13 stories high. And they would drive up and start loading their vehicles. But I really didn't know what was going on. I didn't know wow. what was going on at this time. And I would later find out that, you know, that the families had joined what we had called back then the Fukra Jamaat, which would be, you know, oh. 
Tia Moe. The, the, the Jamaat of the poor. Right. Mm. It, real quick, I just want to, and I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent. So, oh, uh, no, go ahead. Oh, please, it, please, please. It's, it's always interesting when, when we sit back and we, like, none of it, for anybody that knows, none of this is scripted. We don't really, like, we, we, we kind of, like, have a little basic plan, but just notice how Mubarak had a whole, he did a whole five-minute talk about how the Christians just, like, they monasticized themselves, they innovated to the religion, you know, get rid of your worldly possessions, and you're just telling your story, and you're telling something that directly relates to what he just <laughs> talked about. Oh, about okay. like, yeah, get rid of all your, because uh, when you're talking about it, it reminds me of, like, when um, Allah sent the command to, like, no more alcohol, and then all the, all the, the, the Muslims, like, it was like the, the streets were flowing with alcohol, because all the Muslims just got rid of it, because it was actually haram, but then Fukra comes, or Sheikh Jalani comes, and like, yeah, get rid of all your halal possessions. <laughs> and everybody just starts dumping them on the streets. It's crazy. Uh, right. So and was it a thing? Go I'm, ahead, I'm sorry. So was, was it a thing where, um, and I, I'm sorry if I jumped the gun a little bit, maybe you're oh, going to say no. it, but was it a thing no. where they were like, it was it like a mandate or like, a, you know, um, or were people just like in that spirit of, okay, well, this person got rid of their TV. Well, I'm getting rid of my TV and computer or, you know, people just um, try to one up one another and everybody just starts trying to be the best, uh, you know, uh, you know. Um, uh, unfortunately, I, yeah, unfortunately, I was too young for the politics at this time, but <laughs> later it would be explained to me because I actually would ask my mother. And so and then it would be a series. And I mean. It would be like every seven trash cans, televisions. So the projects, they will come down and start lifting televisions. Mm. So one day, actually, you know, we come home and actually at this time, we have dolls and things. All of the dolls are gone. All of the dolls, all the stuffed animals, um, anything with a picture. My, my little sister's entire library is gone and like certain other little items in the home. And this is when my mother explains to us that, you know, that these things are worldly possessions. And then we get into the conversation that would become very interesting <laughs> shortly after this. And this is what I'm the first time I actually hear of the Afghan campaign. So my mother sits us children down and she explains to us, your father and I have signed up for the Afghan campaign. And wow. she said that she basically told us that we would be assigned to different families. Like you go here, you go here. And if something happened to her, that these families would take care of it, in which we knew the families, you know, I think we were divided to like about five families. Wow. She explained it Shahid, which I understood. She explained it Shahidain. I understood that because I learned it at home and in school. That was right. perfectly clear to me. And actually what she was saying did not disturb me or bother me because, you know, you're dying in the way of a law. Right. That was not a problem. And the families that actually she had assigned or assigned to us or she, you know, a, you know, actually accepted her, you know, you know, requesting that they, she, they take her children. There were actually families that we were close to because we only had limited families that we could visit their home any, you know, right. anyway. My mother didn't allow us to visit any homes that went against her teachings and how she raised her children. Right. Um, okay, so real quick. Um, ahead, so, and you may not know this, but like, what, what was, when, when you say your mother signed up for that, like, 
Correct. What does that mean? That she was going to go fight like in jihad? Yeah. As yes. Woman? In the way of Allah. Oh, wow. Right. Hmm. So, and this is, this conversation is crystal clear. Wow. So, you're, so, so, you're, yeah. so your mother and father were going to go together and, <laughs> and engage in jihad in Afghanistan in this Correct. jihad campaign. And, and she explained that to us. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's, and be, that's, be, the, that's the first time I've heard like that, that, <laughs> that the ladies were actually mm-hmm. um, signing up to go. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I and even, like, um, even so much so that other children, you know, I guess the family said, no, they even knew that if, you know, that we were going to be staying with them in an event that um, anything happens to our parents, that their parents would raise us. I, I, I got I got to throw this in real quick just before okay. I forget. But um, it's interesting that because we know this is coming from Mubarak Jelani, who's recruiting all these people to go fight jihad, and I wonder if he recruited any of his wives or sisters or daughters to go fight in jihad with him. I I would no. have no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer to that is no, absolutely not. But you can go to you can come to America and grab some African Americans up, and have them abandon their kids and have women come in supposedly fight in your cause overseas. Absolutely ridiculous. But go ahead. Sorry, I just had to throw. And, that and in. to be okay, clear, no and to be clear, to be clear, this was this jihad campaign, and even women joining the campaign and fighting was was um, something implemented and basically directed and run by. Uh, Jilani, Mubarak Jilani, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Just that, 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 I, I know we know that, but it's just to be clear so that nothing is twisted and turned around by people who might listen afterwards or whatever. You know, people always find a way to say, well, it, no, this was something that was Absolutely. at the Absolutely. direction of Jilani. Okay. So I'm sorry. Go ahead and continue. Okay. And pretty much from there on, we didn't really hear Sheikh Jelani. We would hear actually Sheikh Jelani in school and on the school bus, but never really too much in the home. Mm-hmm. And, that would, and that would change one day, you know, my mother's playing cassette in the kitchen and this man is talking and it's not one legible word coming from his mouth. So I look in the kitchen and I was like, um, oh, well, who's that? And she turns with a big smile and she says, that is Sheikh Jalani. But she goes about, you know, the kitchen and her affairs. And pretty much from there, it goes to, this is, this is moving fast. She sits us down again and she says, and she explains to us that we will be making hijra. And we would be blessed to be one of, more, one of the first families. And again, I understood hijra because they taught us in school from Mecca, the hijra from Mecca to Medina. And I also understood muhajirin. And this was the words that she used, you know, muhajirin. Mm-hmm. But it's still something new. And my mother doesn't go into too much into it. But I think, I don't know how they had it planned, whatever, but we actually, my family decides to make the hijra a little earlier than they had planned. Okay. And we kind of, from there, it was just moving pretty fast. Because remember, also, I'm still very young. Right. So you went and, from you went from being going from finding out that your mother and father were potentially going to go mm-hmm. be Ahid and right. Jihad in Afghanistan, and that you're going to have to be raised by 
of some family friends um, mm-hmm. to then now you're traveling and making Hydra um, to California. California, yeah. Correct. California. Okay. Uh, and so, and the only thing at that time we knew about California was sunny California. So it sounds right. exciting. And it wasn't like a, an isolated feeling because when we made the Hydra, which we drove, we, we actually went in a five family caravan with okay. other families that had joined what we say the Fukra Chimaha. Okay, so um, some of them were a little bit prepared, you can tell, because they had the U-Hauls and, you know, and other trucks. And our family was a large family, and we was just pretty much sardined into our station wagon. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're looking around, like, and you can tell the other families were totally prepared. Right. right. So, um, so the day comes that we're going to make the Hydra, but our neighbors who had, I guess, had not joined um you know, the Fukuri Jamaat at this time, that's what it was called. They came out and they were pleading for us not to leave. They were giving us, you know, the parents numbers and kind of went on for a little while. And it kind of actually gets a little late and actually we had to go in for Makra, Makra mm. prayer. But when we come back out and we're trying to leave, actually like, it was like a swarm, like of Muslim brothers now. And oh, they wow. actually, they're actually, really upset but you know now we're back in the car you know the station wagon so i can't really hear the words but they settled that difference pretty much and mm-hmm. one of the brothers he owned actually a little market right on you know you know because it was corner stores just about everywhere but he had his little market so he just gets comes away from it he goes and gets some pair he actually unlocks his um store he gets his per- non-perishables he loads it in different but when he gets to our station wagon and I knew him already. Actually, his wife used to babysit us. Mm-hmm. Not saying anything. He places the food in that, but I noticed, and he's, he was like a big man, good six something big, but he has, he's not saying anything, but he has a tear, like physically on his face, but he doesn't say anything. He just puts the food in and he goes. And then from pretty much there, and actually even Uncle MJ was out there, you know, you know, it was like a big thing. You know, he lived right around the corner, right around the corner. And, we finally was on our way. And wow. we traveled, you know, this is, you know, lots of children, lots of umis, you know, abus. Mm-hmm. And um, we traveled to California and we arrived there. And the arrive and we arrived there pretty much, and we are very welcome because when you get there, you know, there's other Mohajarines. Mm-hmm. But it's not a lot, but it's enough. And they're very, very welcome very welcoming but this would also be the introducing to the commune lifestyle there was five families four families this house that other but you know this is new and we're you know you know you know everyone's hugging and embracing each other you know yeah. real hugging and embracing each other strangers hugging and embracing you know the parents the crying oh you mahajarines the mahajarines have arrived so so basically real quick, yeah, go ahead. just just to like so i could put in a little perspective so, and just so we can clarify this right off the top, and like, and Mubarak, correct me if I'm wrong, but when 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 we're talking about Islamic, when we're talking about Hijra in the Islamic sense, we're usually talking about from a, uh, from leaving like a non-Muslim environment to right. like a Muslim environment. So essentially, what what you guys have done at this point is leave your own dwelling in mm-hmm. 
New York State or New mm-hmm. York City or wherever, and Correct. then move to another American state. Correct. Um, and move in with a bunch of people just in another like city somewhere. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. We actually okay. go into the Inglewood Watts Compton areas. <laughs> they had you in the middle, huh? That's crazy. <laughs> That's so crazy. And it's wild. Wait, wait, wait. There wait, are gangbangers everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we see Crips and Bloods. Everyone has wait, a jerry wait. curl. They have the you know in those movies where you see the um they have what they call them low riders, everyone's bouncing yeah. up and down. Wow. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait. Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, I brought up, Aaron, you know, we're thinking the same thing. Go on, Mubarak. I know we're thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I, I thought that this Hydra, the Muhajirin, and these these people were like went to like a like a land somewhere that was set up like like a community and like 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 homesteader type thing. This is what I always like imagine, but I guess no one actually said that. I just thought that that's what it was. Yeah. So y'all went to the city, to the hood. I mean, so so the, mm-hmm. the, the narrative of uh, of everyone pre-Gilani um, being in like this deplorable situation, no community, no unity, no direction, no... Um, organization um, in the ghetto, or whatever, um, has been debunked by previous guests and even more so by you. There was definitely direction and instruction and um, organization and everything going on. And you went from a, a, a pretty solid community and everything to make Hydra to, by anyone's standards, is one of the toughest places. <laughs> To just live. I mean, I, I would like to know if you know what the rationale or what the benefit to that was, or um, like I am baffled. I never, knew, I thought it was like that. that the Hydra was to the no. land. It was like no. Wow, wow, wow. At least, at least I thought it was like to like like a rural like township yeah. or something. They yeah. literally like nowadays you couldn't say they moved from like a Muslim neighborhood in New York City. Mm-hmm. to like the equivalent of like downtown Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so for the record, listen to the, and you understand this is amazing. The narrative is that they were in the ghettos and, he, and, and Jilani came and took them out of the ghettos. But actually what actually happened is they were taken from a structured, nice running community or whatever to the ghetto. This is ex- this literally is what it was. They went from, you know, a, a, a structured system, schooling, community, functioning to the ghetto. It's literally the opposite. I mean, Allahu Musta'an. Allahu Musta'an. I'm sorry. So Absolutely. I mean go go ahead, continue. I I mean, I know okay. we keep jumping in, but this is this oh, is this no, is all no problem. Jobs. No problem at all. I, 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 that, know, I it's, it's a pleasure for me to even share my story. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we're here. Like I said, very warm, welcoming. We feel very welcome. Some people are, I am actually familiar with your families, you know, they were from New York and the other families, you know, I was not familiar with, but everything's going well. But it is only 24 hours in, and here we go with the indoctrination. 
<laughs> and this is amongst the children. Mm. We're standing around. This is literally the next day. We're all standing around. And one of the boys, who's 12, he looks at us all and he says, which one of y'all been to the court of Rasulullah Sallallahu <laughs> me and my brother have no idea standing here i'm 12 about around 12 and he's only 13 but these children are already there and they're a hype and it's a this is a trio brothers so he goes and so we look and he's like what court he's at the court of Rasulullah. he says it again So he's like, oh, so he actually, this is our first indoctrination. He begins to explain the spiritual world to us. And he explains who took him there. Sheikh Jelani. So kind of like a little throne. Okay. And mm-hmm. so I'm looking, we say, so we, me and my brother standing there. We're like, well, what did you see there? He said, well, I saw the Nabi's wives. So I kind of like stare at him a little bit because I'm a kind of, I've always kind of been a little bit, you know, kind of a suspicious person. I kind of corner eye him. (laughs) And he looks at me again and he said, so I, I, everyone's quiet because all the kids are just memorized. You know, these children are all surrounded. (laughs) And he, I said, well, what do they look like? And this is how he explained them. He said, well, I didn't see their faces. They were in full black. Their hands were covered and their feet were covered. So, oh, this is how what happened. So I said, well, how do you know it was them? And he said, my shake took me there. That's how I know. <laughs> and this was a 12 year old boy or so? This was 12 years. Early, <laughs> but it's early, ain't no way. And this is where it starts getting interesting. And this is the beginning of all these predictions and jinns and the demon world. He goes straight in. He goes, well, I'm the youngest senior Talib. At this point, we don't know what Talibs even are. We don't even know what a Talib is. This is all new to us. And uh, we go into, and he mentions the Hulkas. We had never, we hadn't, we didn't know anything about Hulkas at this time. So he goes in and he starts speaking about his parents. He said, um, Sheikh Jelani said that my parents would be martyred, martyred them. He actually began to actually describe his parents' station along with himself. <laughs> he began to go into <laughs> hulkas. We had never heard of a hulka. <laughs> and he says, and when I am in my hulka, Sheikh Jelani takes me, you know, in the spiritual world, at, we didn't have this in our vocabulary whatsoever, to Lahut Lamakan. And I always laugh because this is the first time I ever hear Lahut Lamakan. I have never heard up to this point. And so much so, so much so, as he's telling the story, his um actually comes out and she chimes in and she helps him out with all these stories. And this pretty much would be the beginning up a very interesting ride. And predictions. 12 year old boy. Uh, he was 12. Can, can, can we, I, I, I know, like, I don't wanna, if you don't want to, we're not the real reveal the guy's 
identity, but can we at least get context of like what family this is from if we know? Um, you wouldn't know this family and okay, the saddest okay. part about it actually, um, and how I remember pretty much everything because I had, you know, friends who are on Hydra and we would talk about the stories. And actually, um, we actually discussed also one of the early predictions. You know, throughout the years, I've talked, you know, to many people who were there at the Hydra and we were all children together. And one of the predictions were, listen carefully, that the seventh sultan was nestled in his um's womb at that time. Oh. Really? Oh, wow. Listen carefully. He was nestled in his womb's womb at this time, at that time. That was told wow. to the people. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. okay. Um, so much so. so but, but real quick, at this time, who's like who's Mubarak Jelani actually married to at this point? Um, just his Pakistani wife. Just a Pakistani <laughs> wife. Oh, wow. Not even one in charge now. Crazy. It was just one wife at this time. It was just one side. Um, just one wife at the time. Oh man. So so um, so uh, for a little clarity. So the seventh sultan at that time was alleged mm -hmm. to have been nestled into. So basically, uh, so the 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 mother of the seventh sultan, right, sh should have been pregnant with the seventh sultan. If we just make it make it plain. So therefore, that would eliminate. Anyone, mother, son, or any sort of combination running around today with these claims, they were not, none of them were born yet, nor, you right. know, nor, nor even thought about. As my mother says, wasn't even a twinkle in their dad's eye. So, I mean, like, unless, unless it's Shafat who actually <laughs> said the whole concept is bullcrap. He returned though for his spot on the throne. Come on, man. <laughs> but he, but the, he, he must, they must have passed this. You know what? The seventh old time thing is something that's transferable. So maybe he just did it when he did the turban. Like, yeah, I don't want it. You got it. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, so there's a, a couple of things and I don't know if, I, I, are we, I mean, are we actually really trying to make this show 30 minutes or one hour? Hey, what are we doing? Are, we, sure. even, are we even pretending to do that? Let's, no, let's, but Okay. I'm pretty sure we have right, so, like an hour and a half, like would be like the shortest time. Like oh, okay. Time, so. so 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 boss, I'm am I free to ask some you are free. Questions? We're good okay. for like a good two hours or so, two and a half hours, maybe. <laughs> okay. I just right, I, right. I really That's I really thing. want to want want to have just try to help myself and some others to understand something. So this Hydra at this point in the in your uh story. Um, in your account, I don't want anyone to think, oh, story like we're just entertaining people. No, this is this is your account of your experiences in your life. Okay, Absolutely. so um, at this point, is there any um, understanding of the reason why the Hydra? Like, what was the rationale behind leaving and going there? Well. Um... Remember, this is still in the mind of a child, you know, pretty much through the lens of a child. Mm -hmm. What was explained to us was being the Muhajirin and to be removing ourselves out of the inner city and to be building our a new life. Mm -hmm. But you moved to the from from one city to an inner city. And is it safe to say that the environment was worse that you moved to? Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. the, 
the ratio would be that uh, it was I couldn't equate one to the other pretty much. The difference was it was a little bit more suburban. A little bit had a little bit more suburban. It was like an inner city look, you know, mm-hmm. so much. Right. So I would say that. But other than, you know, it was okay. like you would see pretty much on the movies. Crips and the Bloods, the older movies, and the, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, the low riders mm-hmm. and things like that. So but getting uh, back to the oh, go ahead, please. So I'm just, I'm really, I'm just trying to like wrap my head around because like the rationale, like for your parents, I mean, okay, they are making this move and I'm just trying to, um, because as you know, like I, I, I'm kind of at a point where I'm just kind of a lot of the responsibility for what has happened. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking elsewhere at, at some people who may be more responsible than, than maybe just the one, uh, you know, person that, that, that we like to pin it on. Um, even though there's, there's plenty of blame to go around, but I'm just, I'm trying to find the rationale from, from like our parents' perspective of why they would say, okay, this looks like a good thing to do. And I'm struggling to find it, but um, I'm just, for anyone that's wondered, okay, like, why did they do it? Um, I don't see it. And so I'm, you know, I'm just looking for something that might be there. Here's some context, just when you step back and look at everything in hindsight of all the evidence that we have. So when Mubarak Jelani came and certain members decided, you know, the big split of the Dar al-Islam, right? It wasn't really a split. Most people stayed in the Dar al-Islam or most people did not follow Mubarak Jelani. Um, and pretty much it wasn't a like a hydra to go. It was like an exodus of we need to find someplace to go because we can't stay here because the majority of the people that are staying, they don't want anything to do with this. Right. So they are literally like going to places trying to find support and other people to join Al Fukra. And if you look at the history, they like they went to California, then they left California, then they went to Michigan, went to South Carolina. They were going to all these places that the Dar Islam had connections to and just basically like recruiting and trying to find a place for people to take them in and just trying to set up shop. That's pretty much what happened. Just mm-hmm. political moving, nothing had to do with like, oh, we're getting out of the inner city or we're trying to get on some land or anything like that. It had to do with just like, we need to find some place to go and set up shop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, Understood. Understood. <clears throat> okay. So, <laughs> so from there, you know, and one of the like we I think we stopped at the seventh song. Lahut Lama Khan. Right. The seventh sultan was nestled in the womb of the current oh, yeah, yeah. uh, mother at this yeah. point in time. And this was um, uh, so much so that one of the ladies actually was with child at the time. And she believed that it was a possibility that she was carrying it. And actually, like the seniors in our womb, you know, was, you know, because she would like do her mamala. And the baby would move a certain way. And she actually would have like repeated dreams. And at this time, dreams meant everything. Wait, you wait, 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 and- wait. I'm sorry. I know we keep interrupting. So <laughs> so it's not just in the womb. People in the Jama actually thought that a regular member in TMOA could give birth to the seventh sultan. Well, yes, one of the Umis. Yeah. Oh wow. So and she was so it. she was supported by the other ladies. 
you know, like other ladies around, you know, however. Um, and and, we, were this, and we were excited, you know, like, but it was not like she was having it. And it was also pretty much like, if she didn't give birth to the seventh time, this child would probably be special, you know, her son would be special, or, you know, or, and it would still be pretty much like an auspicious, you know, auspicious birth. Right, right. So, wow. um, it was no, you know, it was nothing definite. It wasn't definite. So she, you know, she goes into labor and we like all excited. She goes into labor one day, you know, girls in the umis, she goes into labor and kind of like waiting for the word, you know, to come back. And so like one of the elders had came back, you know, when, you know, and she comes in, she's like, you know, kind of, you know, and she said, uh, blank, her name, she gives birth to a baby girl. <laughs> but we are the memento is the same we are still right. pretty much excited you know because you know it's still the ladies and the support system of the ladies and the girls and things of that nature and we get to see her you know right, right. but i remember yeah. the ladies putting their arms around her and pat her because her mood was kind of not you know it was a little bit more sullen and i said it, it's right. okay you know it's all right it's okay because i think she thought she was going to be giving birth possibly she had all these dreams and people were supporting the dream but her baby came out to be a beautiful and we would carry her and stuff like that and nothing right. no nothing changed from that but that would be the early you know when you kind of look back and be like the spiritual abuse right where so much so that you know the, even the members without being brainwashed became brainwashed yep you know, sad to say, because that's a form of spiritual abuse to even like, you know, kind of like toss that out there like that. Yep. But um, pretty much from there, it gets lively, very lively. <laughs> <laughs> so, the so. daily lay, the daily life. <laughs> and when you hear those stories about those hulkers, mm -hmm. every bit of every word of that is true. These so, so give us some examples of 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 some some things that that people that don't have any experience with like or heard stories like of they'll give them like a good conception of what actually used to be going on back then. I so many people have shared the same experience, so I don't even know where to start from there. And like <laughs> I even spoke to you about the predictions and even mm -hmm. the young man um, speaking of predictions, I actually have talking to friends throughout the years and we actually talked about it, the ones that were there. And sad to yeah. say, not only that that whole entire year and a little over a year that we were there, not one of them ever came to even the personal predictions. And sad to say, a lot of those families, a lot of those families actually suffered misfortune. Mm. and actually some tragedies mm. and how i know these accounts are you know through even though through a, a young child's lens are correct because i shared them with others we remembered and we shared them and we would talk about them you know throughout the years as full adults full-grown mm. adults so even even the um the 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 lahoot lamakan boy um, <laughs> his uh you know it, are his parents still alive um one is deceased and one is alive, but they um, did, are not in the community whatsoever. Did, did, did the one that passed away, may Allah forgive him and grant him Jenna, um, what did he die in jihad as like to be a martyr as he was Absol predicted? Absolutely not. And um, I know exactly what he died of. If I actually say what um, who what he died of, many people would know exactly who I'm talking about. So I'm going to try right. to go right. ahead and cover their identity. 
Right. And, um, but yeah, the, the false predictions and we usually sometimes we sometimes when we're chatting, um, they come up and people just like randomly remember certain things that came up. But there's been so like every literally every prediction that's ever been made um, by Mubarak Jelani and all the other leaders. None of them have come true. Not not a single one. Uh, we were talking one one of our <clears throat> one of our uh, companions was talking to somebody and they brought up the you know the prediction of President Bush being uh, the last president, right? And then they found a way to justify. It. I was like, well, you know, there might be another Bush that gets elected president, like <laughs> Bush the twentieth. It, it, it's it's a constant thing, man. I I really um I, I I actually well not really not anymore. I used to feel kind of sad for some of these people who believed in some of these predictions and based their lives on it. Um, uh, I mean, there's people who were like outstanding at sports, but some older brothers uh, would say, "Hey, you know, we're not going to be playing no sports. They're not going to be no NBA or NFL." Uh, so um, you really just need to be worthy. We're, we're going to be in the war at that time. Yeah. So they pretty much was like, well, man, this is going to be a waste of time. Yeah. You know, and it's like it just, just stuff like that. I mean, I, I, but it, it is uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't want to take take over your, uh, your, your, oh, your no problem um, at all. Like, no problem at all. <laughs> and so, hmm, yeah. So basically, like I said, it became lively, very lively, very quickly. Mm. And up to this point, um, it, this is still through, you know, trying, you know, track my child memory. Um, Sheikh Jelani wasn't there initially, but he would join. He would come, like I would say, very soon after. Very soon so after. Where, where do you know, like even now, or did you know at that time? Like, where was he? Or like, when you guys oh, didn't I, make this Tidra, was he alongside of you guys struggling and sharing the same foods and staying um, in the same cramped quarters? Uh, yes. Oh. He lived amongst okay. the people. He lived. Right. Uh, matter okay. of fact, it was the entire year. And if he did at any point left for whatever, you know, his own personal affairs, he definitely came back. Pretty much the entire okay. year, and people and people would come in drones from different states, come and visit, and they would leave, and others would stay. Okay. All, all many different states, you know, you know, and they would leave. And was it like a like at that point? Was it the mentality that you guys were gonna like find a place to settle and stay in California? Um, they were speaking about land. Definitely, I remember that. You know, we would speak about land. You know, that's so I, I would wonder why, like, they would strategically um, plan to settle in a land that Jelani predicted would be underwater um, by, like, the end of the century. Like, it, that's one of his predictions, that California would be underwater. But you want to go, like, you make Hydra to the place that's going to be underwater. It's just weird. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So... So, grow, so growing up in California, is there any point, like, looking back that you, with your child mind, did you question things or did you eventually just get wrapped up right into the indoctrination? Um, no. Or was it both? No. Okay. Like, 
always kind of been a person kind of a little bit illness, like I said, a little bit suspicious, but it was nothing what I could verbally express. So like, like yeah. I said, I was not exposed to these things prior. And some of the children actually were, they were more indoctrinated already. So we have the hokas and, the, and they had the, you know, knots, you know, they would have the knots, but all of the knots was military. Mm. And the real live hokas where you start on the floor and then now you're in standing position. The ums would have the kimars and literally you can see the baby's head going bopping up and down because the umi is just out of control. Oh God. Those type of hokas pretty much. But um, but, even, but arriving there, like shortly after, you know, um, Mubarak Jelani arrives there, um, um, we do have a slight problem. Like the people weren't really taken well because actually some of them were afraid of us. And at this point, he's tough. This is like all the children, ladies, you know, girls. He says, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, trying best while wow, misquoting him. He says to remove all of that black off of you, which was understandable because we couldn't even enter the supermarkets at this point without them screaming and hollering. Now, everyone didn't dress like that. And even the families who made hijras us, some of the ladies did, you know, they were, you know, all black gloves, however. And he said to remove that, which was understandable, like I said prior, but it was what he said after. He said to leave behind the ways of the deviants the Salafis behind you as they were the deviants. And now that they were his Talibs and Talibas, Fakirs and Fakirs. And I hope I didn't misquote that. Mm-hmm. So the ladies all went home and started dishing all this black. Take it all off. So, before, all so, so at this time, I mean, this is, I mean, I, this is amazing. Uh, so at this time, like, the ladies were dressing like, you know, how, well, I guess how you would see a lot of in, in some of the, the you know, the Salafi uh, co- communities, or even it, lots of places in America, I mean, here mm-hmm. in my city, just everywhere, where they, they wear the, the black, uh, mm-hmm. if not, or niqab, gloves, you know, um, they don't have their feet out, all these things. So is this the way that the ladies were commonly dressing at that time? Um, some did, some didn't. Mm-hmm. And they all from the same community, basically mm. all from the same community. So they pretty much ditched that and put on you know more presentable colors. We also some of the girls were wearing what we call now the Amiras, like the younger girls. And he said that was not the proper way to wear, you know, the kimar. But we were using the word like kimar or headpiece. Mm-hmm. And he said no, they cannot be sewn up the front. And that's when it introduced us to the word chada, you know, and these things like the early words and that you placed it on your head and you, you know, more of like the Eastern Indian culture and to throw them over. Right. Mm-hmm. Just to and, give a little perspective of, because I like looking at, it's interesting looking at where the members of the Jamaat, not looking at the organizations, but the members of the Jamaat from the Dar Islam days and comparing it to like what actually Al-Fukra slash MOA slash TMOA is actually to this day, where, you know, he he took them from wearing, basically dressing like the wives of the prophet, the same prophet that this guy seen in a dream, right? Wearing black, covered and all that, to nowadays where they're actually told that they cannot dress like Muslims and not to wear um, overgarments, 
um, where they pretty much just dress like the, the modern day hijabis, where you just have a hijab on and maybe you just wear some regular um, American style clothes. That's like what they pretty much most of the Vermont people dress like nowadays. Very interesting. Absolutely. So pretty much we have, you know, these hokas, everything, and I mean everything was a gin. <laughs> everything. <laughs> who saw a gin? And the ones who actually could see gins were on supposed to be on a certain spiritual realm. Everything was a gin, everything was exorcism, everything was hoka, and everything was hawks. So much so, so much so. And you know how if you have one hawk in the sky, it just kind of pretty much soars. But if right. you have multiple hawks, they kind of form a circle. Uh -huh. And the community actually thought, mind you, um, I don't remember Mark Jeline correcting them. They believe, believe that these were his ancestors. And it was like, you know, that was Sultan Bahu and Abdul Qadir Jelani, and the brothers will lose all spiritual and emotional control. Screaming, who? Now the neighborhood, now the neighborhood that we were in were up Mexicans, Samoans, and Afro-Americans. The blacks were not having it. They would actually come outside and mock us. They would pretend they was having seizures on the ground standing up, doing their heads, they will point to the sky. And even when it wasn't going on, like the sky was clear, if we just would come outside, because at this time we could go from house to house, but then we had like an apartment building was kind of like a villa. So all the Muslims lived there, you know, together. And even the back apartments, Muslims lived there. So they had like a courtyard, the brothers prayed outside and things of this nature. But if they saw hawks, women, children, the men will come out and they will put on a show. <laughs> a show. And not a humble show. Not a modest show. Not the way of the Sufi, you know. Or self-proclaimed Sufis, however. And like I said, oh, the, neighbors, the neighbors weren't having it. The, the, you know, just the nature, you know, Afro-Americans, the Blacks, I mean, they just, they, they tore into us. Yeah. And pretty, and but other than that, we had lots of classes. We were taught the um the first to the sixth sultan. Um Fatima and all of these were his relatives. I remember that. We were taught about the sultans. Sultans of Hawk. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. So he they so he or they taught taught y'all that they were all his all his relatives. Right, because the first one I believe, and I don't want to get this wrong, was Fatima. Right. I believe there was someone who I think was Basri. Um, so Basri. Yeah, yeah. Basri, well, Abdul Qadir Jalani, and then himself, the reviver of the Dean. If this, I, 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 I oh my gosh, this, it's just like dealing with the other brother, the, the um, Max Duffins that sent us the, the message. It's really sad when the person that's teaching us this doesn't even know that they're not even all related. Like Hassan Basri is not Ahlebeit. He's not related to Fatima. He's not related to Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani. He's not related to any of them. Sultan Bahu is not Ahlebeit. So if he's claiming to be Ahlebeit, then maybe he's related to, you know, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani. They have the same last name. Who knows if they're actually related. If he's claiming to be Ahlebeit, then he's related to Fatima, but that he's not related to Sultan Bahu and Hassan Basri. Um, 
it's just oh gosh, the, the more we, the, this is why we have these conversations because the more information that comes out here, the more potholes just keep coming up, coming up, coming up, and it's like endless. It's almost uh, correct, like like the roads of New York, as um, Amr would say. <laughs> Fifth generation, obviously, Jaffer. All right, but but Jaffer base fifth generation. Right? <laughs> you have to go from yeah, that's right. But to be clear, Jilani actually himself taught the um, the Aqidah, the, the 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 belief system of the seven sultans. Like, did you were you did you see him actually no. or hear him no, teaching? No, but um, he was there and. Mm -hmm they took instruction from him and they shared it with us. And this was every, you know, pretty much everyone, mm -hmm. you know? So, cause we were learning about, you know, along with our parents, what, what, what would it, you know, pretty much what would it be like, you know, as Fukra and joining, you know, a new community. So the children, everyone, we kind of pretty much learned this together. It was so like nothing the, pretty much hidden or anything like that. So one other question, um, and that is, I, I, in the beginning, you talked about how your parents were, had signed up for the jihad campaign. Correct. Um, at this time, they're in California. Jilani was, for that year, he was living with, amongst you all, teaching the seven sultans, all this thing. Was Correct. the jihad campaign still something that you, that, that was being worked towards, developed? I mean, was that a thing, like recruiting for that, um, or had that kind of turned into something else? Um, I don't remember that. I don't really remember because you remember it. I was still very young, so I don't remember all of the politics of that time. But mm -hmm. the jihad would change. I do know the jihad would change, and this would be actually going to the next chapter of this whole year. Okay. Okay. We can actually do a part two or three at some time because at nine o'clock, I'm definitely ready to wrap this up before even before that. But yeah. I would go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, and we, we, um, where, wherever you feel like is a good is a good stopping point, we should stop because um, I think the next the ne this next uh, chapter is <laughs> yeah we we definitely have to start fresh with uh, with some of the next uh, stuff because it's it's really um it's intense. I mean, to, for me, especially for some of the some of the. Uh, subject matter that we had talked about in the past on the show and things I think it will it will help put some things into perspective especially from a lady's uh, um, point of view and I think we have been sorely lacking that on the show and so I really appreciate uh, we appreciate that uh, you coming to do this because I think um, it is absolutely my pleasure and if it takes you know to come on the second time or third time yeah. I'm delighted. Actually, I that. mean, you, like, like I said, we, we can actually, we can, we can do as many shows as it takes to get everything out. Um, um, you know, as long as it's helping people, we can, we, we can do 10 shows in a row. Um, I, I promise you, it's no issue. Um, I do want to, one thing that I do want to make sure is that, um, uh, Amr, do we have any questions or, uh, comments that, um, do you mind taking any questions, uh, Sister Shahrazad, or um, is that okay? Or um, that is fine. That's fine. Okay, let's see. Yeah, let's, 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 let's for everybody that's going to post some in, make try to try to keep them towards the subject matter that she talked about already. Yeah. That way, we don't have any spoilers or bring up stuff that she's going to talk about in the next yeah. um, episodes. Yeah. Inshallah. And so, so I think, yeah, I think right here is probably a 
if 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 you think so as well but i think maybe this is a good stopping point and then let's it's perfect kind of like actually it's perfect perfect yeah so let's tie up any questions about what we have covered so far. Don't jump ahead. Yeah. But about what we have covered so far, if we have the questions in the Zoom or in the in the chat or uh, from uh, from in the DMs, uh, let's take care of those so that we kind of keep it, you know, moving along instead of jumping ahead. Let's see. While we get them, I got a question for you, Shahrazad. Um, looking back, uh, actually, it's pronounced Shahrazad. Yeah, it's Shahrazad. Right, it is an old, it's okay. a old Persian Arabic name from the Persian um, Empire. It was yeah. a name of a princess. I mean, actually, it was an empress okay. who became oh. a queen. Mashallah. And it actually, and it actually means um, noble or um, righteous lineage. That's what it actually. Means. So Shahrazad. <laughs> Shahrazad. Shahrazad. Okay. Right. So looking back on all the stuff. Um, what would you say was like the first thing that should have been like, oh yeah, I need to get away from this. What would you be like the first, the first thing, the earliest sign? Uh, like I said, it, these, all of the, um, that was presented to us, you know, arriving Hijra, I'm kind of a person, even as a young person, you have to, I have to really understand it. So I didn't believe the fables right away. I simply did not believe these fables. It would have, you know, I'm kind of person, something has to digest, kind of di pretty much digest it slowly, but they was just too outlandish for me. Even young. I mean, come on. All these gins and demons and they had the, like the mayonnaise jars and the jelly jars and they blowing into these vessels. And we were taught as children never to blow into a vessel. You know, you don't blow into things. And they sprinkling on each other and people are screaming and I'm going, this just this doesn't feel right. It did not resonate with me in the very beginning. You know? But wait, they were blowing into jars and stuff? For, yeah, they would make like, like dua, like, you know, um, a Mubarak July mm -hmm. would give them duas and like the people would drink it for healing and they would like, you know, you know sprinkle it on each other ah, for healing okay. because okay. It all I mean come on you come from what it seemed to be stable Islamically stable and we were taught as mm -hmm. children Tawheed you know the Tawheed was taught to us as children right. and basically from here it's all of this mystical stuff mm. who's possessed who's this who's that I mean literally um, managed jars and jelly jars sprinkling each other the children would even like you know if they had a dispute with another child Mommy said that you want me and y'all, y'all possessed. And they were getting fights. <laughs> they were actually getting fights. That was like a curse word. That was a curse so word. From your, from your perspective, um, before, before you guys, before you guys joined Al-Fukra, um, like you said, everybody was possess getting possessed and everything was gins. But did you notice anything like we'll start let's just say an odd behavior by people because we don't know whether they're possessed or they have mental oh. issues or whatever but did you notice any difference between like in the Dar Islam where was there the same amount of people being affected by things versus when you guys joined oh abs absolutely not but they taught us the basics you know of the unseen mm. world we had to say the duel before you go into the bathroom they taught us, you know, you step with a certain foot purse, it, those things, and they would have it, you know, our parents would actually have the doers on the walls. We have like, you know, cards everywhere around the house to rem remind us. 
of what we were supposed to say. We didn't know about eating the sooner with your three fingers and things of this nature. And, you know, that was, you know, they, you know, and we had that uh, when I grew up as a little girl, my, my parents and along with the other Muslim family had vast libraries. We could get on, we could read and pretty much get on whatever, pretty much we, we didn't have to ask permission. We had vast libraries, you know, we could, um, we Quran, they encourage us to read Quran. They, um, and my parents had like, you know, like again, a vast library and um, uh, th that was encouraging our learning. Right. But when we made the hijra, that, that dissipated pretty much. Matter of fact, I don't remember ever reading an hadith on hijra. I, you know, we were encouraged to read Quran. I did not I didn't even, matter of fact, I didn't even see Hadith. But I also remember them saying, and I could get this wrong, and maybe someone may correct me, that he even said that some of those, and I can't remember the word, I think he used the word, or the word was being used because I didn't hear him say it, that they were like not authentic or naive or something like that. <laughs> and that he would need to approve pretty much any of the Hadith the people were reading, however. Matter yeah. of fact, I remember that we didn't take our hadith with us because um, I think at that time with my parents, however, they um, had to understand even before you made hijra that these were not the correct teachings. And just just to give a little, but we context. did, what we, but we did take our Qurans. We did take the Qurans because yeah. so my mother had many Qurans. In one of his discourses, I don't know which one, but when she's talking about the daif or the weak hadiths, Mubarak Jalani actually says that um, the hadiths or some of the hadiths in Sahih Bukhari are, are weak and fabricated. <laughs> like literally the, the book that, that scholars have said is like the most authentic second to the Holy Quran, Mubarak Jalani is saying that they're actually not authentic hadiths in there. Yeah. I mean, okay. there, 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 there are some hadith in um, Sahih Bukhari that um, afterwards, People have, you know, uh, some of the, not people, but ulama and, and actually scholars and muhaddis of hadith have um, um, like assessed the grading of it or when other hadith are compared to it, um, that may be more authentic than one that's in Sahih Bukhari. But as far as them being brave um, or fabricated or anything like that, I don't know anyone who has any um, real um, understanding of uh, the hadith sciences and is familiar with Sahih Bukhari that would say that about the book, except for someone who, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, was a deviant. Uh, usually people who like the Shia. The Shiites oh, yeah. are the ones who usually say that uh, about Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, Sunan Abu Da'ud, um, Tirmidhi, and, and all those books. So, okay. um, Right. We have one question in the uh, Zoom in the Zoom uh, chat saying, uh, "Were you close to Abu Muhammad and his family?" Uh, yes. Abu okay. Okay. So yes, she was. Um, let's see. Do we have any other questions from the the YouTube? Let's see. Um. I don't see anything. I would really say like one that. question that I have um, is that was there anything, I mean, up to this point, and now looking back as, as you've grown up, but looking back even during this time, is there anything that now you look back at it and say, 
I mean, wow, why didn't, how couldn't I have seen that or something that is like now that you know, at the time you really didn't find it to be that strange or out of the ordinary or wasn't really a red flag or anything, but now you look back and say, wow, that was, you know, something that I probably should have, or, or my parents or whoever probably should have, uh, um, yeah. you know, should have, should a light bulb should have went off. Hmm. Maybe like one of those things that we, that like you take as normal, like it's a normal right, thing, right, right. but now you're like, wow, that definitely was <laughs> not normal. I mean, Which, it would basically cover, you know, much of what I actually already spoke of. And, yeah. um, there would be more things a little bit down the line where actually, you know, as you know, because you remember as a child, not processing this when you're in your tweens, the adolescence, it's just processing. But even then I was like, because it was a vast contrast to where I had already been raised in. I had a little foundation, you know, like 12 year olds, they kind of have a little foundation. And my education, as far as, you know, my religious foundation was very, very well grounded, mm. not just for my parents my neighbors, everyone we called auntie and uncle. So it was very founded already. So it was really the hit, it was just like the hijr, mahajrin, you know, things of that nature, but never did I was like, oh man, this is the most, you know, like euphoric event. I'd never, I never processed that. What, as a, as a child, as a child, um... Actually, I'll ask the chat the question in the chat first before I get the mic. So, do you know if they were involved in any of like the halala type marriages in the Cal in California when you were there? Um, you know, um, um, a bit too young at the time. Okay, to remember okay. that. So, my question is, um, but I was there when he got married. Um, I was there when he got married to his first American wife. We were there. I was at the wedding. And which wife was this? Was, was this, this would be uh, the first American wife? You know that would you know we would be there. You know my family would be there. Was so it, this was, was it be, um, this was before um, this, um, that would be um, yes. Um, I mean, we okay. was at the wedding, right? Nice. Okay. And what was what was your uh, as a child like? What was your impression? Because you're around Obar Jelani, you've seen him, you heard Correct. him talk, he was in your house. What was your impression of him? Just at, at that that age. We're like, oh, this is a great man. He's no, nice. I never press. I I never processed that simply because I never really had that kind of reference to people in general. I'm not right. one to kind of idolize people. That would be even my nature more as a child. I was still that way, so it was never right. that. It was mostly all the adults and you know ch children. And there were children who were that way, but I wasn't. Right. And he okay. did make. Um, uh, I remember I was walking. This is early part of him there. And he said, you know, for some reason he was like, you know, for yeah. the ladies, because I wasn't there. My um and the, um, the elders were there. And they said, well, who, I guess he pointed like, who's that? And they said, um, she's, you know, my mother's name. And, you know, that's her daughter. And he said, well, what's, what, you know, what's her name? And they said, oh, her name is Shahirza. He said, Shahirza, where did you get that name from? Like, we were not capable of having that name because that would be more of a rare name. And he, he actually had them say it again. And he said, well, who, and then he goes, but who would name her that? And I mean, this is being told to me. And my mother says, well, her father named her that, you know, he mostly looked through, you know, and they our the pioneers. They read everything. They went to learn about everything, you know, and so he decided, mm -hmm. you know, this was his firstborn Muslim daughter and he would name her with the most exquisite name that he thought befitted her. Mm -hmm. But I remember that, like, what is she, like, 
who the, and I ha actually have had that experience with other foreign Muslims, mostly like yeah. Afghani. It was like, how did, yeah. where'd you get that name from? It was like, oh, my, my Abu named me this. And it was like, oh. they say, and they would act like, they would act like they had ownership of it. Yeah. She was, she was like, and they would go through the history. Yeah. This Queen Shahrazad, the Empress. <laughs> I said, yeah. oh yeah, um, I was like, oh, um, I, my, my family explained it to me. Yeah, so I, I, I have had that reaction pretty much with um, foreigners. So. It's it's funny because um, you know we we had we had a video on our old channel <laughs> that uh, touched on some of the stuff that um, the racist stuff that Mubarak Jelani has openly said, and and this is just another example of you know um, if any, if everybody doesn't know the Darl Slam started literally because of this issue the the racism that that a lot of foreign Muslims have of African American Muslims. They think we're ignorant. They think we're slaves. They think we can't learn Islam. We're not true Muslims. So All that's right. when they started the Darul Islam. And the whole thing behind the Darul Islam was like, you know, like kind of like for us, by us. We're going to rule ourselves. We're going to teach ourselves. We're going to, we know our communities and we're going to do this, right? Um, and then you have, you know, Mubarak Jalani comes in from Pakistan, basically considers American Muslims as slaves. And then like you hear someone that has this, you know, exquisite exotic name how how could you possibly know what this name is who named her that you know it just shows how much he looks down on the people oh right correct um i think i don't think we have any other questions um we have a question for r2f that's asking about update on getting our original channel back um so we don't know we're probably not gonna get our original channel back but we did, we did beat all the copyright claims. Yep. Um, we we won all those disputes, so that's that's a good thing. But the problem with Google or YouTube or whatever is everything's automated. So once we hit our third strike, I believe our page automatically got deleted, and I, it's probably too late to recover it. Alano's best. We have service uh, requests into. The people that handle that we'll see what happens it doesn't really matter we got a new channel up already we just lost some of our mm -hmm. old content we got our, Absolutely. our exactly we got our, our subscribers back up and we're still we're still working alhamdulillah alhamdulillah so. last question um someone asked what year was it uh during this like uh your time in california um question again like what uh, year yeah, 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 time frame of the oh, California. Oh, the time frame. Oh, 1982 yeah, yeah. through 1983. Okay. So, the 80s. okay. so I think that's it for tonight's episode. Uh, we don't want to jump into um, anything else that's uh, okay. get us too much. So we're going to have definitely have a part two and probably a part three um, <laughs> with the Empress of R2F <laughs> and uh, Mubarak or Amr got anything to add before I close this out? think we got it brother um, okay. and it was right. absolutely a pleasure to be amongst my r2f brothers i mean absolutely I mean, absolutely I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to the to the next episode the next <laughs> probably gonna be the next two actually i, I would be surprised <laughs> okay. if, we get, if we get through it in just two but we won't just, okay. we'll, we'll try not to waste too much of your time but we appreciate inshallah. it this is, this is inshallah
Okay. So, um, Mubarak opened us up and talked about how, you know, we deviate from the religion when we start just adding stuff to it or taking stuff away to it from it that Allah doesn't specifically command us to do. Um, and I want to talk about, because we get a lot of criticism, especially R2F, the people that work to R2F, um, the people that are coming on the shows like Shaharazad and they're giving accounts of what they've experienced. And a lot of the same rhetoric is being said about like, just be quiet. Even people that support us take this position of, you know, just be quiet. And as Muslims, you know, everything we're supposed to do is supposed to be supported by the Quran and the Hadith. So if we, if someone's telling us to do something, then we go back to the Quran and the Sunnah to see what is the, the proper way to handle things. And so Islamically, um, we can go to the 34th, the 34th, uh, the 34th hadith um, and the 40 hadiths of Nawawi, the actual real 40 hadith. And Prophet Muhammad says, he says, whoever, whosoever of you sees an evil, let him change it with his hand. And if he is not able to do so, then let him change it with his tongue. And if he is not able to do so, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. And this is in Sahih Muslim. So I'm pretty sure most everybody listening to the show has heard this hadith before. And most times we kind of stop at the hadith and not actually read the explanations or get into the wording and see what, what are the really the real implications of what the, these words mean. So I'm just going to go through a little bit of it as fast as I can, not get too deep, but just so we kind of understand what we're being commanded by Rasul to do and to not to do. So he says, he begins by saying, whosoever. Now, when he says whosoever, he's referring to each and every Muslim, each and every Muslim. That means anyone who can distinguish right from wrong, right? So we're not talking about little kids. We're not talking about people that may not be able to think straight. We're talking about anybody can distinguish right from wrong. So if you consider yourself somebody that can distinguish right from wrong, then you are held accountable towards this hadith. So we have no excuse, right? This is from the Quran where Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 44, right? He says, and, and just to, to sidetrack, one of the things that people say all the time, and we get this a lot with people that actually are on the fence or they're TMOA enablers or cult enablers, where they actually agree with everything that we're saying in R2F, but then they take this like standoffish approach where they're like, well, I need to work on myself. I can't say anything now. I got to work. I got to worry about my own, my own issues. Right. And this kind of is supported by the diet and crown where law says, do you enjoin righteousness upon mankind while you yourselves forget to practice it? But people misunderstand this. This does not mean that if you're engaged in something wrong, that you cannot speak out against other wrongs, right? It's mutually exclusive. So as Muslims, we have four independent obligations. The first one is, is that we must order ourselves to do good. The second one is we must prevent ourselves from doing evil. The third one is 
is that we must command others to do good. And the fourth one is, is that we must restrain or prevent others from doing evil. Each one are their own independent obligation upon us. So the people that take the position that, you know, I'm doing wrong, this is one thing that you're in the wrong for doing. Now, if you then use that as an excuse not to speak out against the wrong or prevent the wrong, you have just multiplied your sin by violating two other conditions or commands that are upon you. So just to get a little back into the Hadith, when, when Rasul says, whoever of you sees an evil, let him change it with his hand. This is directly referring to the people that are in charge, the rulers. For the TMOA perspective, this is talking to the Shura Council, the leaders, the people that have influence. It is upon you to stop the wrong because you have the power to do so. But most of us, especially us in R2F, the people that are coming on the show, we have no power inside of TMOA, right? We have no power. We cannot change it. So remember the words. It says, if you are not able to do so, that means we cannot revert to just speaking about the evil if we can change it. But since we can't, we're able to go to the second level, the lesser level, which is to speak out against it, right? So we get to speak out against it. And just to kind of wrap this up, the third one says, again, if we aren't able to speak out against it, which most everybody's able to speak out against it, is that you have to hate it in your heart, right? And this is the one that everybody kind of reverts to just to avoid trouble. Right. They don't want to get any negative backlash. They don't want people speaking about them. They don't want any negative repercussions, which is a legit concern, which, you know, a longer discussion. We can get into the criteria of when you can can and cannot speak out against things. But Rasulullah is telling us that just hating it in your heart is the weakest part of faith. And this is the part I really want to focus in on. And I'll end with this. And I just want to use. Actually, I'm not going to do this. Sorry, I'm going to go on a little tangent. So the first part is that for all those people that are going into the, the position of I'm just going to hate this stuff in my heart and not say anything, this comes with conditions. And I'll just read the, 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 the exact wording from the explanation of the Hadith. It says that when someone really hates something in their heart, his behavior becomes affected. He will not be willing to sit in the presence of that evil. Let me say it again. He says, when someone hates, when someone truly hates something in his heart, he will not be willing to sit in the presence of that evil. This is referring to all you people in TMOA or associate with TMOA who just keep interacting, sitting around while all this shirk, all these transgressions, all this deviancy is just occurring. And you're not saying anything. And if you can sit there and tolerate it, that means you actually don't hate it in your heart. And this is supported by in the Holy Quran where Allah says, and it has already been revealed to you in the book, that when you hear the verse of Allah being denied and mocked, then sit not with them until they engage in a talk other than that. Right? It's a clear warning that Allah is telling us just to 
move away from the evil, right? And and just one last thing I want to touch on, um, because this actually relates to um, speaking out against evil, and I'll kind of just skip to the end of it. But we have criteria for you know how we're supposed how we're supposed to speak out against evil, right? And a lot of people criticize us, especially me personally. I get a lot of criticism for being too harsh, for you know being for just just being too direct, too straightforward, or pretty much too hard on these people, right? But there's a point as Muslims when we're giving dawah and when we're speaking out against evil, there is a point that we actually do become harsh. So there's people that are not willing to listen. And all they do is attack and insult, right? These type of people are actually exempted from the soft approach. They actually put themselves in a position where we actually have to give them a harsh approach. We have to give them toughness. And again, this is supported by the Quran in Soto Tauba, Ayat 73, where Allah says, Oh, Prophet, strive hard against the disbelievers and the hypocrites and be harsh against them. So I just wanted to close us out with that so that people that are tempted to criticize what R2F is doing, criticize the people that are actually working and speaking out against falsehood and against evils, that to consider the advice, not only the advice, consider the commands of Prophet Muhammad and Rasul So with that, join us next week and we will continue with our show. Um, thank you everybody for joining us. And if there's any questions, hit us up on WhatsApp or send us an email. As-salatu wa salam wa Alhamdulillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wal-asr. Inna al-insana la fi khasr. إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتوسوا بالحق وتوسوا بالصبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته وعليكم السلام